0: Gary Strachas has been managing a trailer park since 1977, and so many people have told him over the years, you got to share these unbelievable stories. Nobody's going to believe it. The shenanigans that go on at his hot spring, Arkansas trailer park, he decided maybe they were right. Now he's published, somebody's going to lose a trailer. I have to tell you, the overview of your book is hilarious.
1: Oh, you got a chance to read it. Good. What do an
0: Arkansas divorce tornado and meth lab have in common? Somebody's going to lose a trailer. It's so funny, but it's kind of sad, Gary.
1: The title is sad, but true. And I actually lost three trailers to meth labs that we didn't know were in there. I I thought it was a catchy, catchy phrase. It really is. The the stories are just unbelievable, crazy, funny. It's been a, a, a treat, actually.
0: For the most part, has it been a positive experience?
1: yeah oh, absolutely. i I love my job. i I absolutely love my job. I love the freedom. I get up in the morning before the sun's up, and I sit in my hot tub on the back deck where I'm at now in my outside office. <laughs> and i plan I plan my day and it uh, often changes immediately within the next few minutes. but I, and I just I'm flexible and I go on to the next job. How many trailer parks do you have? I had two. Uh, one of them was on Lake Hamilton in Hot Springs, and it would it shouldn't have been a trailer park anymore. It was too expensive a pro- piece of property, and uh, condos were after me for years to to buy it and purchase it and build the condos. And that eventually happened when they threw a price at me I couldn't believe. So now then I bought uh, I had bought property to develop another one because I knew the need was there uh, after being in the business for about 30 years. And uh, we we live on site on top of the hill above the trailers. We have thirty eight sites, and we stay hundred percent full all the time. So, what are some of your favorite stories? Oh my gosh! The first sentence of the first paragraph in the book starts out, "Nothing good happens between two and four a.m." And it's really true because last night at a little bit a little bit after two o'clock sirens started coming our way and I I do this thing where I'm, I'm a light sleeper if I hear a siren I listen to it until it gets close and if it stops anywhere close I go investigate well I investigated and right out my back door the next piece of property there was a house fully engulfed in fire and all the emergency units were headed that way and I just checked it out this morning. The house was burned to the ground,
0: but that was just this morning.
1: That was last night and this morning. Yeah. Okay, so what's in your book? <laughs> you gonna add that
0: one later or what?
1: Oh, yeah, i've 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 actually I've started my next book, and that is already written down as part of a chapter. But oh, yet, no, uh, the the first chapter is about my old people, and it was about a couple of gay guys that burned the trailer down that they lived in by messing around with the heater trying to trying to get the heater to work but it happened a little bit after two o'clock in the morning just like last night uh it, it's just history repeating itself pretty much why didn't they call you uh, they did actually the one of the guys that lived in the house years ago that burned came running over and screaming my trailer's on fire my trailer's on fire and and he had a, a, a gay partner that lived with him and I thought he was still in the house. So I went running over there and the first thing I did was reached in the house and pulled down the curtains from the windows cause they were on fire and it wrapped around my arm, burned my arm. It, it was a mess. And waiting for the fire department to get there was horrid. This was back before nine one one. And, uh, I didn't know the name, the number for the fire department. And it was right on my dial, uh, my rotary dial phone in front of me, but I didn't see it. I forgot it was there. So they took, took a long time to get there. So they lost
0: their trailer home.
1: It was mine. Yeah. They were renting from me. Oh, they're renting from you. Right. Correct.
0: So how do you um, vet these people? (laughs) What do you find? Are there similarities
1: I don't do much vetting. I, well, I do a little of my own investigation. I first check the vehicle that they drive up in. And if it's a mess, I, I can pretty much guess that their house is a mess. Uh, I don't do much background checks, a little bit more than I used to. I'm a pretty good judge of character on first, and my first impressions go a long way for me. Uh, occasionally I let a bad apple in. And uh, it gets rotten pretty quick, so then I've got techniques to alleviate that situation.
0: Does your insurance cover when you know somebody burns one of your trailer homes down, or you know there's a meth lab in there, <laughs> that burns down. I mean, does your insurance cover that, or do you go after the people?
1: I've got liability insurance only. Um, yeah, so yeah, no, it, if it if it burns down or if a tree falls on the place, it's pretty much on me. But I, I, if I had insurance on every trailer I owned, I couldn't make any money. It's, mm. you know, if something if something burns down, I I buy another one and put it in.
0: So, what are some of the more lighthearted stories? Do you have a favorite,
1: funny story? Well, yeah, I mean, there's so many. Uh, if I suggest that if anybody wants a good laugh, read this book. But there was one of my favorite, one of my favorite. Uh, residents of the park his name was ray favorite by the way he uh, he was a retired sign painter and every day he'd be at the mailbox about noon when the man when the mail ran and i'd come out and say hey ray how you doing he, and he said oh waiting for mail mail hadn't come yet but i had me a good bm this morning <laughs> all old people think about is mail and bowel movements <laughs> so he was he was a hoot Oh, another one. Uh, uh, the, the same, the same guy has got another story in the book. For years, he was telling me he was in the service with Ray Mancini. What? The yeah, the the musician and the songwriter. And he'd tell me this, and I I never really believed him. And I said, prove it, right? He says I got a picture of it, the both of us together. And he round he went through his trailer finally and found the picture and he comes running all excited. I found the picture of me and Ray Mancini and he shows it to me. He points to one guy in the picture He says, that's me. And that, um, the next guy is Ray Mancini. Thing is they had full gas masks on.
0: What?
1: In World War II, they wore these big old gas masks and uh, you know, who knows, maybe it was Ray Mancini, but I, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> Couldn't prove it. Couldn't prove it by me.
0: Is it like a community in your trailer park?
1: Yes. It's, uh, it's our, it's our family actually. Uh, I live on the property. We've got a bonfire coming up. I do, we have had a bonfire in the park every year for about 40 years and everybody comes and brings a potluck and I do a hayride for the kids and everybody looks forward to that. And around Christmas time, the volunteer fire department comes around and uh, hands out candy canes to all the kids. and There's stories about that in the book, too. Yeah, it's a community. It's it's not just a trailer park.
0: What's the story that made you go, oh, my God, I can't, nobody's going to believe it?
1: <sighs> well, probably the naked woman in the trailer park. There you go. I had a girl that like to be run around in scantily clad clothes you know uh, her her boyfriend's t-shirts and actually i i had her arrested three times <laughs> for, for breaking windows in the park and just creating habit my, my, what what boiled down to the worst offense was my sister calls me she, she lives in the park too she calls me says there's a naked woman on my front porch so i went down there to her front porch which is right below our trailer and sure enough sarah was naked on the porch again uh, i called them the police immediately told them i got a naked woman running around and it was the fastest response time i've ever seen <laughs> three three units came peeling up into the park and they were very disappointed that i had her all wrapped around in a in a big towel before they got there <laughs> But stuff like that is unbelievable. But every story in my book actually happened. You can't make that stuff up. No, you really can't. How far are you from town? We're uh, about three miles from the city limits. So we're kind of country. I call it country living close to town. (laughs) Uh, And Hot Springs is actually a national park. So we're we're within three miles of a national park. And the Hot Springs area is beautiful. We've got the trees and the lakes, streams, creeks, rivers. Uh, I'm a I'm a Chicago boy, actually, originally, but I love I love Hot Springs. I love Arkansas.
0: That's where the Ozarks are, right?
1: Ozarks are actually in northern Arkansas, yes. And I, I actually do a three-day, two-night hike in the Ozarks. Um, I try to do it every year, but it's been a couple years now since I've been up there because the creeks have been too too high. <laughs> Not all of my stories are trailer park related. I do uh, a chapter on vacations, uh, a chapter on uh, accidents, illnesses, and injuries that I've received. Injuries What? while you were hiking? Actually, yeah. Injuries on my vacations. Uh, I broke my neck uh, wave surfing, body surfing in Mexico the same day my wife fell down the stairs in Mexico and broke her foot. Oh my God. So, we spent the week with me pushing her in the wheelchair with me with a cervical collar on.
0: Nice. you might, that now yeah. that's a Christmas picture if I ever heard of one.
1: Oh my gosh yeah, yeah.
0: are you are you going into town and talking about your book? Are you able to promote it where you are?
1: Yeah, um, actually met with a, a a lady that's a friend of my wife's. She was a promoter all her life now uh, pretty much retired. We spent an hour just talking about uh, avenues to promote the book. I have some very good ideas, and she suggested that I start locally and then go state and then go national. But I've sold books worldwide. I've got friends all over the world from that people that we've met uh, on vacations and and stayed in touch with, and they've all purchased. So,
0: how do the people in your trailer park feel about the book?
1: Many have bought them, bought the books. A uh, few of the people, not many, are in the book. A lot of the characters are from the first trailer park that I owned. But, uh, I mean, these these people give me more ammunition for another book every day.
0: They're okay with that? They don't feel like they're, that you're making fun of them?
1: Hey, it, I, have, I haven't made up anything. <laughs> it's, all, <laughs> it's all true.
0: All right, and you're already working on your
1: second book. Yep, coming up. Yeah, it's, I think I think it'll be a, come out a lot quicker this time. This the first book took forty five years to write. Okay, collect and and get down on paper and get it published. So I I know all the ins and outs now. And uh, yeah, no, this one this one should be out shortly. And being seventy years old, you know, I've got it. have got a deadline too. So
0: oh, you sound like the kind of guy people would enjoy sitting around and listening to you, just tell your stories. You know, you seem like a very laid back guy. You have a good voice for storytelling. You really do.
1: Well, I sure don't have the face for it. So (laughs) I got the voice for radio and the face for the face for radio.
0: (laughs) All right. Gary, what a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much.
1: Alice, thank you. You, You've been great. Good questions.
0: You take care.
1: You've been a pleasure. You too. Bye bye. (laughs) Later.
0: Phil, which is very, very busy with trees out in Oregon. He's an arborist and forester who knows a thing or two about writing reports and playing guitar, but didn't realize he had a book in him until the story for the dry side of the pond came to him in a dream. So uh, what are you doing right now, Phil? Because it sounds like you're
2: very busy. Writing a report, a tree report. A lot of like You're writing a tree report while you're while you're well, talking know, about I'm your not book. I'm putting it aside. I'm putting it aside. Because I can you hear it. <laughs> I have my notes in front of me because I don't know what's going to happen here. So I have all my cheat sheet notes in front of me.
0: <laughs> you don't need any notes. How long have you been writing?
2: This is my first effort. I've written a lot of technical reports and documents in you know, my, my career. But this is the first time I've actually sat down and write a, written a book.
0: Well, what made you do that?
2: I about three years ago I had the flu. So I took some some NyQuil and went to bed thinking, oh, this is going to kick it in the butt. I'm going to be fine. I woke up and this whole story was in my head with, without the ending. The whole thing was in my head. All I had to do was sit down and write it down and piece it together. I don't know how it got there. I don't know where it came from, but it was there. So I, I did very little to actually grow this story in my head. It, it was there. Um, and I just had to as as it came to me, write it down. Get everything down on paper, and then sit down and spend a lot of time editing and putting it in in a flow and a context that makes sense.
0: Maybe it was the meds. You think it was the meds?
2: See, that's what it's it, Nyquil. That's what it was.
0: Could have been the Nyquil. Uh, if it wasn't the meds, did, was there anything familiar about your story?
2: There was. I mean, I I grew up in the '70s. My wife says I always have a. song in my head, my toes are always tapping, my feet are always moving, I'm always got something going on in my head. So music is real important to me. It kind of fuels everything that I do. It keeps my brain going while I'm doing other things. Um, the, everything in the book that kind of relates to the seventies was real familiar to me, not necessarily, um, you know, in the participant role, but it, it was all around me. And I, I just wanted to write down this story before I forgot it. Basically, I, there really wasn't a, an, an influence. It was, it, the story was there and I wanted it out. So for me, the reason to do it was to get it out of my head. So it quit pestering me. Um, it's based on this young man he's born in 93 to destructive self-abusive parents that weren't ready to have kids his father was a musician in a rock and roll band his his mother was you know a a groupie that kind of grew into the the role being becoming a mother the story goes throughout his life how he deals with being abandoned being abused by his his parents going through a divorce being adopted by his his mom's new husband and life even getting worse for him competing for the attention of a Uh, a son that was already in the other family. And and then a little bit of self-abuse. There's got to be a little bit of self-abuse in that to to get his character deep enough to make make sense. And then he finds that he has this talent um, that he didn't know he had through uh, an old beat-up guitar his grandfather had in the the garage. He kept it for years and he taught himself how to play and found out that he could really play. He had no lessons, no one taught him anything, and he found his release and his his solace and his place and purpose in, in music. Um, throughout the, the story, he has friends that um, stand by him and end up being his sounding boards and his guardrails through life. And one of those friends happens to be a young woman who he ends up uh, falling in love with and marrying. So he, you know, he works through his life. He deals with all these stresses and, and bullying and being abandoned through multiple, multiple people in his life and finally comes out the other end doing well. He's got his talent. He's got his garage band. They're going a competition. They're finally going to make it big. And then life takes uh, another turn and ends up going south again on him, not due to his fault, but due to circumstances that his past come back to get him. And it's, it's basically, it's the story of a kid who grew up on the wrong side of town, parents that didn't want him, grandparents that ended up helping to raise him. And he finds this talent that is innate in him that he didn't know he had, and he's really good at it. And the rest of the story is about those around him trying to develop that talent and make him a whole person, make him comfortable with in, in his body. And then finally, he um, falls in love and gets married, has a child, and
0: something comes okay. back to bite him.
2: Yes, it does. Yeah, the past is his past comes back and ends up uh, taking him out.
0: Do you relate to anything here besides the music?
2: There, there is, um, there's not a lot in the story that uh, is directly related to my life or my family's life, um, but there are instances throughout the book, the, the comedic parts of it, the funny parts of it, the little um, little instances that develop the characters, a lot of them, you know, are, are related to me, but the overall arc of the story is not. No, the, I don't have a, an abusive past, I don't have a drug-addicted past, I don't have a musical past or parents that, that disavowed me at all, no, not at all. However, growing up when I grew up, I see a lot of it. I still see a lot of it. You know, in Portland, there are homeless people everywhere. There's people that are that are down in their luck everywhere. It's hard not to see it. So I, I took that and I mixed that with you know growing up with with uh, you know in the 70s and the everything that came with the music you know, music scene in the 70s, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and morphed that into the story. So the, the, there's some. Um, It's mostly more observations of what I've seen others go through as opposed to what I I went through. I had a really great childhood and loving parents, and I haven't experienced much of any of this firsthand, but I don't think you have to experience what you write about personally. You can sure see it everywhere, and that for me, that was enough to be able to be confident and comfortable with what I was writing.
0: Did you discover an innate talent for writing?
2: Yeah, I I think so. I think I've always been able to put down my thoughts on paper well and ever since I got out of college, I, I was, you know, I was writing reports and writing documents for the Forest Service, which was, for me was was great because I was able to use my, my education and, you know, the big 25-cent words, I thought that I knew what they meant in the reports, So I enjoy writing. I think I write better than I speak, and that's what I enjoy doing. So I don't know if I, I, I am discovered it. I think it was always there. I, I just didn't have a vehicle to to use it on a daily basis, let's put it that way.
0: So are you going to keep going now?
2: Yeah. I've got two more that are in the in the oven, two more stories. Yeah, but, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I have to, it's a hard time finding time to do it. But, um, yeah, I want to keep going. I think for me, I don't know if, if the story is good, bad, or indifferent. So I don't know if my writing style is good. I don't know if the storyline is good. I have to wait to have more people tell me their opinion before I actually know if it's worth me doing more. I mean, I, I want write to write things and write my stories because I, I enjoy doing it. I just don't know if it's going to be anything that's worthwhile to do other than just to, you know, get these stories out of my head.
0: Well, I mean, you went as far as to publish it. Do you have any plans after that?
2: We do have a a publicist we're working with. Um, Fulton Press does provide similar services as well. So we're just starting in on this. This is our our first time doing this. So we're real newbies at this so we're learning as we go my wife and i are are trying to make this work and doing what we can with what we have and yeah we're we're publicizing it we want to move forward with this so yes
0: you'd be an interesting guy at a book signing i think an author talk at the library i hope so that
2: that's kind of what we're we're looking at there are book fairs that are out here there are um, the northwest independent writers association has events all throughout the northwest that you can um be part of, and not only present your book, but you know, answer questions and 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 just be a resource for people.
0: So that provides a forum for you to stand up and talk about your book.
2: Yeah, it does.
0: That's good to know. That's yeah. good for other writers to know. Yeah, I think so.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of scary. As I said, I wasn't I wasn't intimidated by doing it. But what I'm intimidated about is is what do people think? You know, it's one thing to think the yeah, I think it's great because I spent three years writing it. But what if it's not? Yeah, you know, then what do, I do? what do I do then? Well,
0: here's a better question: What if it is? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I,
2: I, I try to be pragmatic about everything, and I don't, I don't get too excited about the way things could be, so that when the rug gets pulled out from underneath me, I'm not very, I'm not upset, I'm not disappointed. So I have to see a positive happen before I can celebrate that that positive. So when I see it, I'll get, I'll be excited about it, and I'll be happy about it. Great. I'm so glad I caught up with you. Oh. And you did a great job. Well, I, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sweating, and I'm sitting here fidgeting. You're <laughs> funny. Oh,
0: my God. You did a great job. Well, thank you. <laughs> it's a pleasure meeting you. You, too. You take care. Bye-bye. Yeah. As a director of analytics, Kimberly Hoffman uses her left brain during the day, her right brain to follow her passion for writing since she was a little girl. And it continues with the publication of her third book for Fulton entitled Little Olive*. Tell us about your first story.
3: I was in grade school and I wrote a story for my grandmother and it started once upon a time, A-P-O-N-D. I still have that story. <laughs> and
0: she loved it (laughs) and she saved it for me and you've been writing ever since then
3: yeah I did yeah I wrote all the way through I never really thought much about it it was just kind of an outlet for me a creative outlet did you write poems Mm. oh yes especially in junior high when the hormones kick in oh you know it it was it was probably all fraught with emotion
0: (laughs) so is this new book completely different from the others It's, it is a little bit different.
3: So I have a a special needs daughter. And I've always thought that I would write a book about her. Well, then I have this 11 pound Italian Greyhound, she just melts into you when you give her a hug, she just kind of melts in and just kind of groans. And she has some genetic defects. So she's toothless, and she's blind in her left eye. And so I started thinking about writing a story you know, i wanted to write one about my daughter but then i have this greyhound and i was like oh there's some parallels here so i i wrote a book about the the greyhound and then dedicated it
0: to my daughter how long have you had the uh, greyhound she is turning six this year what took you so long
3: <laughs> i know right so little olive um feels different from the other dogs. She knows she's different, again, blind in her left eye, doesn't have any teeth, her tongue hangs out of her mouth and her family is getting ready to move and they're moving to Wichita, Wichita, Kansas. And she's very concerned that she won't be able to find any friends because she is so different. And that's what the story really is about. It's about her uncovering the fact that she's not the only one that's different, that they're all different, they're all unique in their own personalities. And she she gets in with this group of other dogs that are based on family dogs, so real life dogs um, and a cat. And um, it's just a really cute story about learning to love yourself and accepting others for who they are. Are they all nice to her? Well, there is Quinn. So Quinn is my grand dog in real life. Quinn was adopted by my daughter, my youngest daughter. And when she was out for a walk one day, she was attacked by another dog. So she is aggressive towards other dogs. And it does come out in the book. That is why they call her Quanky Quinn in the book, <laughs> because she she really doesn't like anything except tennis balls.
0: Are we able to get through this? Can Olive accept her for, for
1: who yes. she
3: is? Well, Olive accepts everybody. It's you know olive's really more concerned about being accepted by others and i think it's every all the dogs unique personalities that come out like um for instance there's ally cat so ally cat belonged to my youngest sister and her family she is a yorkie beautiful yorkie except she had alopecia so she's bare on her back and that comes out in the book. And so that's where Olive starts seeing all the differences in the dogs and that she's not the only one with these qualities that are different from the other dogs. There's such a lesson here, isn't there? A huge lesson, huge lesson. I hope people listen or hear the message when they read the book because it is really important because you know, my oldest daughter has struggled with this. She's 33 and she still struggles with having no friends because it's, it's difficult for her to make friends, and people are just not as accepting as they should be. So, and it's hard, it's difficult for her to find a job. All she wants to do is just work, but, and she has a lot of good qualities that would make her a really good uh, employee, but some businesses just don't want to give them a chance because they're not fully capable of things that quote, unquote, a normal person, you know, would be able to do, But but she has a lot of a lot of gifts. Some, some businesses embrace that though. Some do, but it's very difficult to find them. Even with support, it's very difficult to find them. Is she tied into this book somehow? The dedication at the front of the book is for her, um, where it says for Caitlin, um, we love you, f- for you. And then, I, and then I mentioned her on the cover or the back cover of the book. So she's in there, she's, and and honestly, she's probably the reason I wrote the book. Olive just became the character, because she also has differences.
0: Now this is your third book. Yes. Do you feel like you're developing a following? Mm,
3: I, I hope so. There is a website out there for the first two books, um, the Storytellers Foundation. So those books are a little different. I work with families who have lost a loved one and it's not me making up a story, but me telling their story. It has a twist of fiction in it, right? So I can I take their loved ones information, their unique qualities, um, the things that they love most about them and I spin it all into a, into a children's book for them. So that was the first two books that I did and I have like three more lined up, ready to go in different phases that I'm working on. This is the first book that I did just for me, um, based on my own personal experiences.
0: I would love to see you read this book to children. You have a beautiful speaking voice.
3: Oh, thank you. You know, I got to read my second book to a classroom full of third graders because the one of the characters in the book was a third grader. And so we took it to her class. She read part of it and I read part of it.
0: And that was so much fun. Well, you should take this one back to that school.
3: I should. Yeah. And, you know, I have a teaching background. I was a teacher for many years before I switched careers. So for me, it would be a natural fit to go into a classroom.
0: You go, girl. You got to keep writing, aren't you?
3: Oh yes, (laughs) I have like, I have three more in different phases, but I have a lot more ideas beyond that.
0: I mean, this is really your first book from you to the world.
3: Mm -hmm. Yep. And I I absolutely love, I've always in my head have identified like human character traits with animals. Mm. And so for me, it's a kind of a natural fit for me to write
0: with the characters being dogs specifically. How many times have you been to the dog park and you look at the dog and you look at the owner (laughs) and you go, hmm, yeah, yep. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It's not necessarily, you know, the dog's pretty ugly, whatever. It might be the way the dog acts, the way the dog barks, the way the dog reacts. And it's like, oh, "Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm." When
3: I was writing this book, I really, I knew it was a little olive book. I knew she was the main character, but I didn't know how those other dogs would fit in until I sat down and started thinking about their character traits. And the lead character of the chihuahua, uh, Penny, you know, I met her a couple of times. She belongs to my niece. And that dog just would follow you on your heels and, go, and just go, yep, 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 yep. And I thought, okay, she's the lead character here because that's what she does. She's in everybody's business all the time.
0: <laughs> yep, that's how it goes. I think you should do an audiobook. You have a beautiful voice. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So think about that. Okay. Anyway, pleasure meeting you again. You as well. Thank you. And thank you so much. All right. I appreciate bye. it. Bye bye. There are people who come into this world under the worst of circumstances and never recover. And there are people like O.J. Bostick who not only recover, but are determined to create a better life. The name of his book, Running From Nothing, The Soldier Mentality.
4: My book came from a conversation between me and my uh, cousin. We're just kind of talking about life as adults. You know, a lot of times you see people, you really never know what they have going on. You know, a lot of times we assume or we think we know this or that, but a lot of times you never know what's going on truly within a person. So, We had a conversation going on. We were like talking about life and then he's like, brother, you should write a book. I kind of left it off. Then later on, I was like thinking like, hmm, your life story is your life story. So you never, to you is really nothing significant, but for somebody else to say that, it kind of like sparked a a bulb. And I was like, hmm, I'm up for the challenge. And then I enjoyed the process. It took a while to do, uh, just, you know, life is gonna life, but it was a fun process. So my cover is a white uh, cover. Uh, I had the r- words running from nothing on it in camouflage and with the soldier mentality. Uh, so running from nothing on my cover, what you will see is a child slowly developing to a man and then it turns into an old man. That represents a pessimist uh, mentality. And so if you actually look at it, the child is running from nothing back into a word, which kind of you know, represents different things that you may have insecurities about, be afraid of, or don't know how to really attack so a lot of times we run from those problems instead of facing them. Okay. Um, a lot of times we can't, we don't know how to face them. But at a certain point in life, you learn how to deal with um, setbacks and things like that a little better. And that's when you kind of have more of a optimist uh, mentality. And that's the golden silhouette that's standing in front of nothing. So you have one running from nothing and the optimist that's not running from anything. So if you look at the word nothing, there's two different silhouettes, a black and gold. The gold represents the optimist. Okay. This book is my entire life story. Everything's accurately accurate, but the spin to my story is um, the optimist and the pessimist they actually meet uh, through life. And that's what kind of makes it fictional, but everything's all real. So they're going to have different conversations. Like maybe like a, it's more like a mental conversation, but it's actually done to form. So I meet myself uh, every day that I'm doing, you know, running errors or things like that. I'll always run it to myself, but that pessimists will always like age like rapidly so one day maybe eight next time i see them maybe you know 14. then next time 23. so from those days it's only days uh apart but there's years with the with the agent so we're catching up on years when it's really just like one day
0: so you're having a conversation with yourself in this book
4: it is but it's the actual person that's what makes it you know the fictional part
0: where do we find you when, when the story starts?
4: It takes place in Atlanta, Georgia. Okay. So just me and my girlfriend, we go on a nice little dinner date, and we're kind of like, uh, we're spending the evening together because she's going on a business trip. So uh, I drop her off on the airport the next day, and I decide to, uh, to do a hike up Snow Mountain. And once once I finish it, I you know, sit on top and kind of think about life and taking the scenery. I grab my lunch and go to a local park uh, not too far away, like a 10-minute drive, and i up just mingling with the youth. I always like dealing with the youth. And uh, there's this one kid that kind of like he's kind of a little different from everybody else. He's kind of like uh, not a strangler, but he's just like a small kid and, you know, they're playing football. So, he's you know, he's not backing down. But um, towards the end, he's just kind of like, you know, approaches me. He's like, hey, can I sit here? And I'm like, I don't see any adults around, but I'm like, all right, I don't know what's going on. But, yeah, you're fine, you're safe with me. And then me and that kid, we start talking. I don't realize that kid is a younger me at that point. I find that out later in the book. Had a team mom, so a lot of times, if you don't have that strong support as a team mom, things will get exposed. And I just don't think she had that. But you know, the more research I've done as an adult, you know, I just I kind of see why things happen. But you know, as earlier in life, I didn't really, you know, you don't look at the bigger picture. I have since done that, but no matter what, I still kind of started life as well with a small setback.
0: Was she a single mom? Yes. How old was she when she had you?
4: Uh, fifteen. Then I had another sister. We're two years and three days apart so she had like two kids before uh I was in high school
0: oh my gosh was she not able to handle that
4: uh, i won't say that just back in the 80s and probably the 90s there was like a lot of domestic violence and things like that so i did witness that between uh the two main relationships that i saw so i mean i can't really blame her uh just being a single parent because my dad he wasn't the best guy to start off with and then the next guy that she dealt with wasn't you know he's a piece of crap too so
0: God, that had to be difficult for you.
4: Oh, for me, I just, you know, as a, you know, as a boy coming up to be a man, I just kind of looked at some of the guys and I was like, hey, this is nothing I want to represent in life. You know, if you're dealing with someone, you shouldn't be putting your hands on them, especially being a man. And everything I've seen, like personally, I just take those to kind of be the opposite, not saying I'm perfect because I have my shortcomings too. And I, you know, I say, you know, I don't act like I'm perfect because no one is perfect. So, you know, even in those things I've done wrong in my life as an adult, you know, I analyzed my whole life, you know, when I wrote this book. So everything's like accurate and it's filled with life lessons.
0: So when you meet this quote unquote little boy who is really you in a younger age, it gives you an opportunity to kind of look at your life from the outside.
4: Really what it gives me a chance to do is like when I didn't have anybody there, I could at least be there for him. So it's kind of like, you know, things you wish like somebody was there for you, just having an opportunity to be there for someone else because you can't go back and fix anything. So I'm actually, I meet another version of myself. One's a pessimist, one's an optimist, but I don't find that out till later.
0: Wow, interesting. How old were you when you got into the military?
4: Uh, so I got kicked out when I was 17. Uh, A friend of mine let me move in, uh, you know, stay with her son's bed. So (laughs) once I got kicked out, I really, I didn't have anywhere to go. So I got, luckily I uh, joined the army two weeks after graduation. I joined the reserves. I was in a little college, but kind of fell apart. So I ended up going uh, full-time, basically fresh out of high school. How did you do in school? Uh, honestly, with all the stuff going on, I mean, I really did I had kind of like a nonchalant attitude because the environment at home was kind of like that way. But as far as school, like school's always been easy. And one thing about school, two plus two will always be four. And you always have a set answer. And school always made sense. Dealing with some of the stuff at home didn't make sense. So I always excelled at school. I've always been like a pretty good uh, student to cool college.
0: Despite not having a lot of support.
4: Correct. But I always had myself. So that's all really, that's all you need really in life.
0: I, w- I would think this book would be an excellent resource for kids going through a similar situation.
4: Yeah, I don't doubt it. Cause like later on, like I'm a former foster child too. So I dealt with that and kind of gave my perspective being someone that actually dealt with it. A lot of times, if you don't have that experience, you can't relate to it, but I've done it. You know, i looked at myself. You wound up in foster care? That's the second guy that my mom dealt with. Uh, he was doing some things with my sister that I, I didn't know about. And, uh, she eventually told someone when she, uh, I guess she reached her breaking point, but I didn't know any of that stuff was going on. As a kid, you never think that. So I kind of like felt her as a brother, but uh, I didn't know, so.
0: Wow, you have had
4: some life. It's a, a, bad, it's a bad start, but it, it, it gets better.
0: Yeah, you're lucky. You were strong enough to get through it.
4: I just, you know, I figured once I got, you know, once I got to my adult years, I figured that, you know, I would probably make somebody out of myself. That's what I always thought. But, you know, my biggest thing, even when I joined the Army, since uh military we don't make a whole bunch but it's stable but you know sometimes when you're looking at other people and you're like man this person has this this person has that When we start looking at other people uh you know I, mm-hmm. you kind of feel like a fairy or like you feel like hey i should be here but what a person has going on that's another thing i put like you know you need to look at life like driving you stay in your lane but you never know what's going right. on that that car that shot past you you know two miles later they could be on the side of the road with a you know busted radiator overheating so right. you stay in your lane and you're good
0: so, how are you uh, getting the word out about your book?
4: Uh, right now, I I've been selling my, my books around Atlanta. So, and then like you know, social media. But I got some ideas. I got uh some interviews coming up, a few social media promotional videos, and then just face to face.
0: You're doing a great thing. You're gonna help a lot of people with this book.
4: Yeah, I think so. Cause at, at the same time, you know, uh, my big thing is hurt people, hurt people. So I got I got three kids, and the first child, me and her mom, we were married, and that's, that's another part of the book, too. It's kind of like me and my first daughter, we got, like, a bad relationship. And I tried to fight for my rights as a dad. You know, it didn't work out. But it happens to a lot of dads. So that's kind of, like, another thing, too. But my book's kind of, like, motivation, too. So, like, eventually my daughter would know, like, hey, you know, things got bad. But this is the whole story my side. So that's another thing, too. So I'm kind of pushing my book as far as being a dad. Because, you know, if I saw my dad, like, it probably, like, spark a bulb. So I just feel like, you know, eventually every story gets told. And, you know, you can't have the truth. Eventually it'll come out So. Yes.
0: That is true. You can count on that. Oh yeah, definitely. Wow, what what a pleasure talking to you, OJ. I really appreciate it. Thank you.
4: All right, like the Thank you.
0: You have a great day. Our next author goes by the pen name A.M. He has to because if his past was known to his current employer, he's certain he'd lose his job. So his voice has been altered for this interview. But he believes sharing his past can and will help young people who may find themselves in a similar situation. The name of his book, Ignorant Youth.
5: This book uh, was written, actually started, I started writing it when I was in high school. I was about 17 years old and it carried on. For about 15 years, it was actually just a continuance. I would pick it up when I felt some kind of, I don't know, inspiration, I guess. It was easier than talking with somebody. So I would just write it down.
0: Were you going through something in particular?
5: Yeah. I mean, you know, with adolescence, you kind of, uh, you make some choices that aren't very good for you. So I kind of did that with my neighborhood and my friends.
0: So what were you doing?
5: Uh, A lot of illegal things, actually. Uh, Things that, you know, you make quick money and we didn't really think that it was going to have any repercussions on our lives as we got older, but, you know, the little things you do um, make a big difference and kind of alters the rest of your life. I knew it was wrong, and I just kept doing it because it was easy. It was a means to an end as far as money, as far as notoriety, I guess. Early to mid-90s when, uh, you know, meth came around. Breaking Bad. Kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like a 17, yeah.
0: Oh, man.
5: Yeah, I grew up, I had nine friends uh, that came up with me. As of now, eight of them are dead. One's not allowed back in Arizona, but he's here. He's got hep C and he's got AIDS. So he's not going to last the year. And that's from sharing needles.
0: So uh, Did it ever yeah. get that bad for you?
5: No, no. I was kind of the ringleader. I had the connection. I looked at it. I looked at myself in the mirror and I'm like, what are you doing? You know, I'm like, I don't want this anymore. So I just dropped it. I flushed it, and I gave the rest to my guy, and I said, I'm done. I'm out. I told him after 17 years, I'm done.
0: You did it for 17 years? Yeah. So where was your
5: family? They were oblivious. Great family. My mom, my stepdad, my brother. My mom has four brothers, four sisters, and we're all close-knit. When my grandma passed away, we had 42 grandkids, 42 great-grandkids. And we're all, I mean, our cousins are just like our brothers and sisters, you know? But nobody knew because I kept it away from family.
0: That's incredible that you were able to do that.
5: It was kind of weird because like, it was my friends. I, I would kind of just, I would have it and I, and I would kind of kick it to them and they'd you know, go sell and I'd wake up and there's $15,000 in my, in my window, you know? And to me, I thought I was the greatest tooth fairy of all time, you know, I went to sleep, I woke up and there's $15,000 in my window. So
0: when you were writing about how that made you feel, what were you yeah. saying? What were you feeling? What were you thinking?
5: A lot of remorse, a lot of guilt, and as I was watching my friends, because they started using, um, they started to decline, you know, they, they, they changed their their perspectives, their morals. It was the fact that they were changing, and honestly, I thought I was responsible for it, because I was a connection. I I had a, a glass pipe in my hand, and I looked at it, and I'm like, what are you doing? This whole time, I I, I couldn't look in a mirror. You know how people look in the mirror, and brush their teeth, this and that. I know where my teeth are. I never I never looked in the mirror to brush my teeth. So I dumped it. And I I, I flushed it and I went and told my guy. I gave him all his stuff back and I said I'm done, I'm out. I,
0: I didn't think it was that easy to get out.
5: It's not, but I grew up with his kids, like from kindergarten up. Like we didn't we didn't know what he did. We'd be playing football in the street and his you know, he'd be like, Nijo, come here to his son and he'd go over and he's like, Here here's twenty bucks for your friends, get get ice cream. You know, seven, eight years old, we're like, wow, what does your dad do? He's like, I don't know. People walk up and hand him money. We're like, cool. You know, he must give good advice. We didn't know. Ugh. You know, we had no idea. <laughs>
0: was there a significant event that took place?
5: I mean, my friends started dying, but honestly, about 2000, I moved away. I moved out of the neighborhood because I was trying to to get away. I didn't. I told him, I said, look, I said, we're done. We're out. You know, after, after eight years, we're good. We're done. You know, we all made money. We all did good walk away. And they said, no, bro, we're going to do, you know, we'll do our thing. We're going to work for other people. I said, you guys should be established by now. After eight years, you guys should have your own thing. We're fine. We're fine. I said, okay. I said, well, I'm out. So I walked away. And when I walked away, one by one, prison, dead, prison. You were also using, right? Uh, to a certain extent, not, not a lot. I mean,
0: I was going to say, isn't it highly addictive?
5: It is, but I mean, it, it, it depends. I mean, see, when I, I, I left the neighborhood, I was, I tried to resume my life normal, you know, with, with, with my family. Long story short, I saw differences in myself and in society. Like I've seen like things now, they just, it's, it's, you know, selfies and this and that. And, you know, look at me, look at me kind of stuff. It doesn't, it doesn't appeal to me. I don't, I don't get it, you know? And I tried, I tried to be, you know, I, I tried to be normal and and to me this normal isn't normal. And so what happened is I relapsed. I went back into doing what I, the only thing that I could do right. And so I had done that for another, I believe it was eight years, something like that. and then that's when more of my friends started fading away and I told you know I told myself I was like, you, you can't do this. I just I, I ended up walking away and you know I figured I'd take another shot at a normal life, I
0: guess. You're a lucky guy. you're such a lucky man.
5: I was lucky to be brought up by my mom. And the morals that she instilled, I, I I knew it was wrong. And I think that guilt in the back of my mind was always eating at me. And when I saw that, uh, that my friends were fading away, I'm like, I can't do that to my mom. I can't do it. So I just so I stopped. so
0: you end up, you know, taking the high road, and um now you do something that you, you're you're afraid that the book that you wrote might threaten your job. How are you ever going to promote this?
5: Right. Uh, that's kind of, uh, I've been praying about it a lot. And, and what's funny is when I wrote the book, I was also writing a screenplay. And it was treatment, you know, for like a miniseries or something. And I showed my friend the book after I found it. And she said, I would totally watch this if this was a miniseries or something. So I don't know. I mean, if I can get this turned into some kind of a miniseries kind of thing, I could leave this job, you know. The publishing company actually is going to set up a Facebook with my with my pen name.
0: And then you'll be able to uh, communicate through that, you know, your experiences. I
5: I heard from my publishing company that they put together the promotional thing for it. And it's saying, I guess they're targeting like rehab centers and, you know, other places like that to, to, you know, push the book. So hopefully, you know, hopefully it'll it can help somebody.
0: Does your mom know now how far you've come? Uh,
5: yeah, she was a little shocked and a little pissed off.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I bet she's proud of you now.
5: Yeah, she is.
0: Thanks so much. All right.